this is the Roaring Elfin podcast. And this is the day that Dave has been waiting for. Finally, he are being able to become a developer too, because we're going to be talking about low-code stuff and artificial intelligence. <laughs> artificial intelligence is my part, okay? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, are you saying that I'm artificially intelligent? Uh, well, let's say artificial intelligence is your last hope. No, 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 that's mean, that's mean, that's mean. <laughs> so, okay, so let, let's start off with this, this whole world of low code and no code. And I want to, I want to take you back. I want to take you on a journey back into, uh, see, the 1980s and fifth generation programming languages oh, yeah. that were essentially, I mean, this was is is everything that was old is new again. Like, are we just revisiting the eighties and uh, our sort of uh, our neon day glow t shirts going to come back into fashion as well? Well, when you say things like this, I have to mention this. Uh, everybody knows we record the stuff in advance, and uh, Meatloaf died today. Oh. Blast from the past from eighties. I mean. So. He's he has a very particular frame to himself, like it's uh, the fact that he's lived as long as he has. I think is uh, it's amazing. Is <laughs> yes, um, but I do hope he had fun. I mean, yeah, he gave us Rocky's uh, Rocky Picture Horror Show, at least part of it. So, oh well. Anyway, anything old is new again. Uh, definitely, yeah. it's a whole cyclical thing. But I would say it's a bit different for the no code loco thing. Because in the 80s, which is actually when I went to school, God, um, they tried and failed spectacularly. Mm -hmm. It was a promise of something. It was like VR today. It was something that was a bright idea, but the technology basically wasn't there to do it. And people still wanted to do intelligent things with that stuff. And yeah. it just wasn't up to it. Today, I'm not going to say the technology is up to it. But I guess our expectations have lowered. <laughs> <laughs> so it is like VR today, then. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but I do encounter it more and more, to be honest. And I mean, we both work in the monitoring observability sphere, yeah. and those kind of platforms all come up, and where it's pretty—I'm not going to say easy, but normal—to monitor servers and applications and application forms monitoring and all that fun stuff. The moment that those no-code, low-codes uh, come into the picture, it gets a lot harder because basically yeah. you have to be talking to an API at that point. And typical monitoring, logging, whatever you want to call it, observability, mm -hmm. is based on getting logs and getting telemetry from the running applications. It's rarely talking to another REST API because that is complicated. I mean, reading a file is easy. File is a file. Yeah. REST APIs, you kind of have to be yeah, talking that language. And yeah. in my experience, which could be wrong, because again, I don't do that much with low-code, no-code, but typically it's a closed API. They're not that willing to open up their environment because they're still, I think, I feel, in the mindset that they want to have everything in their environment. They want to suck everything in and stay isolated. And they're not that happy to interoperate with other people. And of course, I'm going to shut up and then you can talk a bit. Mm. It's all very much in the closed source world. This is, I haven't seen anything open source-ish, which makes sense because the whole idea, I think, for open uh, for no code, low code is 
establish a vendor lock-in that is ironclad and unescapable? Or yeah. am I too negative? Uh, I think I think it's pretty spot on, honestly. Like the the thing I wonder about, or not wonder about, but the thing that strikes me is that the the low code no code approach is it's trying to simplify the answers to relatively complex problems. It's trying to give people a it's trying to give people in many cases the easy button that they can smash and, and get instant results. Emphasis on but try. it's also yeah, yeah. But it's it's also the the one thing that I think is relatively consistent, which which points back to your comment around APIs and integration and how you actually do that is they're providing it as a almost always black box service for you know two reasons like one in my mind is that they they want to portray it as this simple easy thing that you just you just plug your data mm -hmm. into and and it it does magic um and in in some cases that's their you know their ability to, ability to deliver that magic is the is the promise of their service and the second thing is that like yeah they're they're protecting their technology from um from you know people understanding what's happening under the covers they they're deliberately trying to abstract away the inner workings because that again that's their that's their secret source but the if you look at it from the the consumer's perspective i think many of them actually don't almost don't want to know like it, it's the opposite end of the almost the observability spectrum they they almost outsource uh their um intelligence not well maybe not intelligence but they almost they almost outsource their um not reliance I'm trying to think of the phrase um resilience maybe it is maybe it is intelligence but not not from not saying that they're stupid but they they just no, outsource this the the intelligence knowledge. within that yeah the knowledge of that that service yeah. and they they just say well we've got an sla and our sla says that this will always respond within you know x number of milliseconds nanoseconds microseconds hours, days, whatever it might be. Um, and, you know, they, apart from tracking those very simple SLAs, there's not really, like, the vendors don't expose much more than that. Mm -hmm. And most people consuming it that I've seen, and I've only seen a handful of people involved in this kind of space, but most people don't seem to care about much more than that either. I think it's the main attraction of the whole thing, the idea of not having to care. And it goes hand in hand with the whole cloud SaaS uh, revolution that's going on. People have decided that, I mean, it's been the, the marketing blurb of all the cloud providers. Let us do your infrastructure because you're not an infrastructure company. You're a bank, insurance company, retail, whatever you are. You're not doing data center stuff. Let us do that. And the whole SaaS idea is, Put another step further, you're not a software company, uh, Mr. Supermarket, whatever you are. You're not an accounting company, so outsource all that stuff. 
And to a certain extent, I'd say that's a good idea. I mean, if I want to remodel my kitchen, I'm not a DIY person. I'm going to get somebody in to do that. Makes sense. However, I do wonder how much it makes the organizations poorer in that, that knowledge, that intelligence, because being able to do a little bit more, a little bit deeper than the competition, you should be able to get better synergies, mm. whatever you want to call them, to make a better product experience service, whatever you're selling. And this whole outsourcing, again, it's a cyclical thing as well. Maybe it's a contractive, I don't know. But we had the whole thing 10, 20 years ago of outsourcing everything to the low-cost countries. Those don't exist anymore, really. So it's coming back again. And now we're kind of outsourcing it to the low-cost infrastructures, being the cloud mm -hmm. environments and the SaaS companies. And just as we saw when we outsourced it to the low-cost countries through consulting, a lot of stuff went wrong because a lot of money got spent for projects that never materialized because, again, distances, telecommunication wasn't what it was today. It just didn't work. And what I think... I think what I'm seeing today as well is that by outsourcing everything to the cloud SaaS environments and the the, the atroph atrophication, is that a word? It is now. I don't of know. That now. intelligence, of that knowledge of the companies, of what's actually happening underneath is causing issues today. I mean, some mm -hmm. outages are, I think, totally a result of not knowing and not caring how the thing underneath is actually working. So you can't prepare, have Content resilience, your backup projects, your backup planning is incomplete because there's so mm -hmm. many black holes. I mean, compare it with security. In the whole security sphere at the moment, more and more is being said about capturing all the data and removing blind spots. In the whole classification, no code, low code, we're actually inten intentionally introducing blind spots, blind yeah. spots in your infrastructure, in your software development, as flows, whatever. Um, that can't be right. <laughs> I I think the the atro atrophication, and if it's not a word, it is now. It um, should be. <laughs> TM Roaring Elephant Podcast is 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 always. I, I think is always going to be inevitable. But you need to have a conscious decision as to what things you're going to let atrophy like. Yeah, yeah. As an organization, yeah, 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 you can't yeah. you can't do everything all the time. Or if you choose to, you're that means you're sacrificing something else. Like yes. we 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 talk often about you know how you how you choose a, a technology or how you invest in a in working with a, a vendor or a partner. We often talk about you know things should be. Technology should either be making you money, saving you money, or both of the both of those things at the same time. When you're when you're looking at uh, these things from a, a practical perspective, and I th I think you know we, we talk about the opportunity cost of you know if my team are learning how to do all of these fundamental things, well that means they can't be accelerating our product yeah. on the things that where we specialize. So. I, I don't I don't think it's as much of the the sort of the atrophication as a as a as a problem per se, 
But I think people are probably making these choices without recognizing that they're making the choice, if that makes sense. Like they're, 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 they're taking these decisions without necessarily realizing the, the impact of those decisions, which to your point is the potential atrophication of something that actually could be critically important for them to understand. Uh, I'm going to counter that. I, I think it is very intentional, but intentional mm. looking at the at the wrong reasons, at the wrong consequences, perhaps, because you're right that they're not looking when they're doing this or not consciously looking at the atrification, I'm going to keep that word in, of the intelligence, but it's always very intentional from a cost-saving perspective, because the whole idea yeah. today in big businesses and small businesses as well is that everything that we do, that our people do, there needs to be an ROI, return on investment. And I think ROI, it's not a bad business practice. I mean, if what you're doing isn't making you money, you're going to go bankrupt and that's a bad thing, obviously. But I do think that today the whole ROI story is going too far. Everything needs to be ROI. I mean, we talked about the funding of OSS projects a couple of episodes ago. Why don't big companies do that? because they don't have to, so there is no direct ROI for them. That's just another consequence of that thing. And this whole idea of going for low-code, no-code, because we don't want to care, because if somebody else does this, we don't have to invest into it. Well, you're still paying more, I think, than if you do it yourself. But there's no longer that 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 that, that uh, duty of care, or what's the, what's the normal term for that, of making sure that the inner workings actually work right. And mm. this is far from new, because when I was learning C-sharp uh, a couple of decades ago, <laughs> actually uh, my, my then company sent me on a course, and that course was going to train me on developing stuff in C-sharp. Well, no. What the course did was train me in using Microsoft Visual Studio. Mm. So I went in that course. I'm, I'm, a bit, I'm a bit special. That's just how I am. And I told these people, uh, I'm using Eclipse. I'm not using Microsoft. I had a very interesting course, and, and actually the, the teacher uh, was a very nice woman. After the course, actually came up to me and said, thanks for doing that. This made it interesting, because instead of mm. just learning to use a tool, we had to dig deep in how reflection, how templates, how interfaces, how it actually worked in the language, how the garbage collection worked. Instead of doing just drag and drop visual basic style form building, no, we had to actually write the code. And I was afraid of being very annoying in the course, but actually she enjoyed it a lot as well, apparently. And that's a couple of decades ago. It's only gotten worse. And this whole no-code, low-code, I think it's good. It's a good thing that it's, uh, between air quotes, as bad as it is. But <laughs> I'm not saying it's bad, but as limited as it is. Because if you, you, you earlier said that you didn't encounter it a lot, I think that's because it's currently mostly in the business logic flow of connecting things together, having case management systems, follow on. If case gets logged, then person needs to get uh, warned. That, that's all being built together using uh, low-code stuff. We are no longer, I think, trying to actually write programs uh, mm. like a word processor or an accounting tool or whatever using low code. I think we kind of gave up on that. While in the 80s, that was definitely, you're just going to drag your, uh, um, it's not an XML. What was the name again of that? Uh, the drawings you made to build those things? UML. 
UML, thank you very much. And you just gave that to the system and it'll build a pro. We're not, we're not even trying to do that anymore. So that's what I meant with expectations yeah. have been reduced and I think to a reasonable level. Yeah, no, I, I think it does make sense. I think we're, we're probably in, in violent agreement. And, uh, <laughs> that's I, not I think, good. That's bad podcasting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, uh, what was the, what was the word that we came up? Um, Atrification. Atrification. Yes. That's a uh, trademark Royal Elephant podcast. 2022 uh i think this is this is something that we could probably uh spend a bit more time talking about further on down the line but yeah interesting times yeah and of course there's a second part of today's discussion the whole ai and basically where the future of ai is going and we kind of lumped this together i think because it's kind of the same discussion again because the whole AI thing is also going low code, if you like, mm. where 10 years ago, five years ago, when I was deep in the whole data science uh, thing, the whole the holy grail was take a notebook, start typing deep code and make it all yourself because there was nothing out there. While today, I think the reality is shifting more and more to reusing existing tools or using tools that give you a easy to understand user interface to do simpler, I mean, machine learning is never simple, but simpler mm. machine learning. The difference with the low code, no code, however, for me is that no code, low code, as we explained, is more of an ROI thing. We don't have to know this. We don't care about that. So we do let somebody else do it. Mm -hmm. For the AI, I think it's more driven by the fact that we want to do this ourselves, but we can't find people to do this. So we kind of have to take um, a higher level abstraction, take a tool that does it for us, because basically data scientists or data professionals in general are just so hard to find. Yeah. If, I mean, there are a variety of areas within the industry now that are um, crying out for uh, more qualified candidates. We, we've touched a number of times over the, over our long running history of, uh, you know, the infosec area is one area that is, that, that consistently seems to have about 20 to 30% more jobs than it has people uh, to actually do those jobs. Um, we've seen uh, a steady and relatively continuous rise in the number of um, organizations looking for people with open source skills and experience. And, you know, AI, ML, data science is a, is a kind of a third pillar of that. Um, that you know every well, maybe not every, maybe every organization is is an exaggeration but a large number of organizations a large percentage of organizations are either investing in ai ml data science or at the very least or you know some of them are very heavily investing in it, but everybody is looking at it as a as a way to answer some of their questions it's just a question of how far are they along that journey? Are they still in the 
exploration, tinkering phase? Are they, you know, do they have things in production? And at what level of you know, maturity do they exist in that? Right? Where do you see the the no code, low code kind of sitting in this? Do you see that as a as something that's a, a trend throughout, uh, regardless of where someone is in their maturity? Or do you see people maybe starting off in no code, low code, and as they gain more experience and more knowledge, maybe actually going back into an environment, you know, reversing maybe the atrophication and instead, uh, you know, starting to exercise those muscles. What, like, what do you think that looks like? Uh, I don't think it's a, I'm going to contradict myself. I don't think it's a constant mm -hmm. choice to go for low code, no code, because basically they're looking for a solution for a problem and for certain problems that comes in the no code, low code world. Mm. And once they've accepted that, and again, from that ROI, from that investment, we'll just take a tool that does it so we don't need to know how it works. Once it's there, you kind of forget it's another way of doing it. So I think the atrification in most cases is permanent because there is no desire to escape from it because we've learned to accept the limitations of what no-code, low-code can do. And basically mm. that's what we're happy with. And uh, if you know the movie Idiocracy, um, basically we're going toward trending towards that a little bit on the, if you talk about low-code, no-code. For the AI, slightly different. I think there's a couple of classes there and i think one large group of customers is the i've given up group i've tried this mm. i've tried this a lot i pushed money again to it i hit a wall couldn't find the people so we'll just again scale down our expectations those companies are still using machine learning because a lot of the tools a normal company uses has things like anomaly detection, simple classification, regression algorithms built in these days because yeah. the whole commoditization of AI has actually happened to a certain extent. So yeah. there is less of a reason for them to actually do it themselves. They can just yeah, buy a product that does that. And even some platforms which are still, uh, you're still able to build stuff in that platform, but those components are just, yeah, just enable it and you can you can do it. Yeah. For the companies that are still trying to go deeper on that, uh, what I've seen is that they embrace the application <laughs> again because finding data scientists is hard and being able to use a click and drag tool with limitations because everything that's governed by user interface has more limitations, less flexibility than code, but it requires less knowledge. Yeah. And in that case, I think the application could be reversed if a if the demand can be met for people if more people come out of school and try to do this the problem with data science for me i think is that it's a lot harder to get mathematicians into the computing world because it's kind of a university world versus business world and there's only a small yeah contact yeah uh, that, that venn diagram models. only has a relatively uh, small overlap yeah, I think I think it's similar for the security of the infosec people, but a little less because security these days, well, either you're walking around the fence with a nightstick and a gun, or you're doing it in cyber world. That's basically mm. why you go into that world. But I don't think anybody does a doctorate in mathematics because they want to become a data scientist for a, a retail chain. Mm. Some people, I mean, yeah, never say nobody. There will be people that think <laughs> that, but I don't think there's different. Uh, 
how do you call that uh, inspirations uh, reasons to do that i think yeah yeah different personas involved for sure okay anything else on the uh on the sort of predictions that uh that this particular article made that kind of stood out to you or anything else that you think the 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 crossover between the no code low code and the predictions that you think really stands out um no i think we covered most of everything there i mean i agree with the fact that they the one of these people said that uh we will go to vendor provi provided ai again because can't get the people in there low yep. code no code i'm not a fan because as a as a kind of a techie i guess i like to know how things work internally i hate the fact that things get obfuscated away because if I understand how a thing does something, I can use it in a better way. Knowing how the thing works makes me a better user of that thing. Even if I'm not, not yep. going to make a thing like that. I mean, I do nothing with combustion engines, but I have a car. And knowing how a combustion engine works, what a crankshaft is and things like that. I mean, I'm never going to do anything with that in a practical sense. But that does make me a better car owner, I think. I mean, yeah. I lost my car. Yeah. <laughs> it never complained. How do you see it? Yeah. Um, I, I do, I do, I do feel the same way about this. Like the, whether or not you're going to make changes to something like some people do go and modify their cars to, mm -hmm. to kind of extend your, uh, your particular example. Um, but the large majority of people never do anything never even service the car themselves like take it to somewhere to get everything done to it exactly but just because you have some some fundamental knowledge about you know maybe how, how steering works how suspension works how the engine works you know all of those things give you both a degree of you know again in the car world sticking with this metaphor for a little bit longer you know some element of mechanical sympathy you have an understanding of what you can do with your car and what you should do with your car and what you should avoid doing with your car and it's the it's it's not it's not just about the um the sort of the maintenance of that vehicle but it's how you use that vehicle as well like if you're if you're overloading you know loading too much into the back of it and and like bottoming out the suspension or if you're taking you know, turns too quickly or braking too harshly or you know all of those kind of things for someone that doesn't have any sort of understanding of what any of the anything is underneath the the pretty shell uh, of your of your chosen vehicle you know those are somewhat more abstract terms but having some basic understanding does give you insight into the best way to get value quote unquote out of uh that vehicle and i think i i do think you're right i think it's the same thing in many cases does apply to technology having a better understanding of what it's doing can not just give you the ability to use it better but can give you more insight into when when and where are the best places to use it a particular technology and when should you avoid using that technology 
to to wrap up the uh, the the automotive example, like when is the right time to use a, a small hatchback, and when is the right time to use a a pickup truck or rent a van or or whatever? Like they they each have different strengths. You could use all the the, the same vehicle for all those things. But you'd be compromising the experience in many cases. Yeah, and I think the worst thing about the whole no the attification, let's keep it in, is that the more complicated, the more modern that technology becomes, the more beneficial that knowledge actually is. And keeping the car anal analogy, using EVs, electric vehicles, things like regenerative mm. braking, if you don't have some idea of how that actually works, you will be hurting your uh, achievable mileage. Mm. And Again, in technology, things are getting more complex and more difficult yeah. all the time. And knowledge of how it works is, is is getting less and less. And I do think that's a bit of a worry at the moment. And again, open source to the rescue here, because most of people in open source are still doing it the hard way, looking at the inter intricacies of the whole thing. So maybe open source can save us from this uh, idiocracy as well. Maybe. I... I think then the nice, the potentially the nice thing about open source in this story is that, to your point, people often in the OSS world start off standing these things up themselves, start off doing things themselves. Maybe they don't do it particularly well. Um, maybe they make a lot of mistakes, but they learn along the way. And that... I think that has the potential to, yeah, reverse the atrification. That's why OSS skills are in demand, because there is knowledge there. <laughs> Could well be. Could yeah. well be. But I do I do think, again, violent agreement once more, which is terrible for us, <laughs> is, uh, is the, this idea that the world is becoming and technologies are becoming significantly more complicated. The... The, the, the sort of percentage of people that understand everything about technologies that they're deploying seems to be shrinking ever smaller. And I don't, I don't see that trend really reversing. I don't see, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't see organizations. I don't see projects. I don't see uh, people even. Although trending Intel towards is starting to build their own fabs again. And simpler projects. Intel started building their own fabs again. They outsourced all that stuff and they're doing it internally again. So maybe there's hope. Mm, maybe. Maybe. Well, I think unless there's anything else from you. Nope. Take it away. Then that is all the time we have for today. You can support this podcast by becoming a Patreon. Every contribution really does help. We are on YouTube. You can like, you can subscribe, you can hit the notification bell and all the YouTube things. You can see also see Jon and myself's smiling faces. Please go to www.roaringelephant.org for a link to our Patreon page and for more information about the podcast. You can follow us on Twitter using the at Roaring Elephant tag and you can send your feedback to podcast at roaringelephant.org if you're that way inclined. Until next time, my name is Low Code No Code maybe some code but it's probably broken dave and my name is let's see if we can disagree next time again Jon. <laughs> that shouldn't be too hard <laughs> <laughs> and we'll look forward to talking to you next week goodbye
けどね。